Today on Jam Session, quite a bit of TV. Amanda, taking you off the movie beat for a day or a few. I love television. I love watching things in my home. Me too. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by the new season of Love Island USA, only on Peacock. We got a text. On June 11th, the one and the only Ariana Maddox is hosting a new season of Love Island USA on Peacock. With a new villa, new bombshells, and drama on the daily, this is summer appointment viewing at its finest. Oh, and of course, Scottish sweetie Ian Sterling is on the mic to narrate every moment of the fun. Love Island USA starts Tuesday, June 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern with new episodes six days a week exclusively on Peacock. Visit PeacockTV.com to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Pre-Thanksgiving. Do you have like um, winter break, giving break jitters, Amanda? Yes and no. I mean, obviously, it's a very different Thanksgiving for everyone. And let me let me just say, it's it's a tough week for everybody. And we send you our love. And I know it's going to be different. I'm not traveling. I'm not going to be uh, with my family this year. Well, my extended family. I'll, I'll be with my husband. But um, and... I'm, I'm feeling that loss and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. And I hope you're going to be safe because it's really important. And I also hope everyone takes care of themselves a little because it's, it's weird. It's a weird time. It really is. It really, really is. I would say one positive among many negatives is that there's so much television to watch these days. It's true. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it. Um, Amanda finished the crown. So we're going to discuss the crown final thoughts um, where we're at with that show and the um, actors and actresses who populate it. We're going to hit the Taylor Swift documentary, which was just announced this morning and is coming tonight on Disney+. Plus. Um, some other celebrity sundry notes, some celebrity and COVID. Probably will end on that, you know, a, fi- a final note. Um, but let's begin with um, something I feel like has been simmering for a few weeks. Of course, mm-hmm. Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald have been on this train. They've been watching The Undoing on HBO. I recently caught up. Did you watch from the beginning, Amanda, or did you catch up? I started like a week later because I had enough people in my life to kind of be like, hey, this is like Big Little Lies, but in Manhattan and also involves Hugh Grant. So you should probably watch this. And I think that that was like a 100% true recommendation. I trusted those <laughs> people. And so I am caught up, which is pretty rare for me to be watching a show in full as it's happening at this point in my TV journey. Did you also watch it because you're doing miniseries on the big picture recently? No, actually. Um, totally separate. Though Sean also did start watching it. I mean, this is interesting, right? Is that it is kind of, it's a Sunday night HBO show. And that has always like played a role in certainly your and my TV watching oh, yes. culture. We are of a, of a generation where like the big Sunday night show uh, on HBO is what you watch. And that's obviously changed a little bit because of how people uh, watch TV and all the streaming services. And there's not really appointment television in the same way. And so like, it feels like no one started on night one of the undoing in the same way, but somehow we have all caught up. And I do feel like, you know, our, our friend Mina Kimes who did uh, the big little eye shows with me and is on a bachelor party from time to time with you and is also a ESPN contributor texting me being like, are you watching the undoing? Like I've heard from everyone in my life that, it's happening, but it, the, the, the phenomenon of it all, like took a couple of weeks to catch know. on. It's kind of funny, which, and the reason, one of the reasons we want to talk about it is because as you said, Hugh Grant's in it and as is Nicole Kidman, and they're like two of the most famous actors currently working. Mm-hmm. And yet it felt like there was not a lot of traction for the show. Although I don't really know like how you would get a lot of traction for a TV show right now. If it's not like a Netflix drop that everyone 18 to 38 wants to watch. So I don't even know like what they should have been doing. Although I will say Hugh, huge uh, grant has done a lot of press, including going on um, the watch. So you should check that out. You really should. <laughs> but but um, I was just sort of like, 
when I I think I watched after two as well. And I was like, yeah, why aren't more people talking about the show? I'm having a great time. Um, I was just like, this is great. I'm, I'll happily watch this. I also really mm-hmm. like uh, Donald Sutherland. So wonderful to see him. And it's a lot of Nicole Kidman marching. Like it could have been called <laughs> Nicole Kidman's March. She's just like, she's got great posture. She walks with like raising her knees, crossing these, these New York city streets. Um, it's all very distinctly Upper East side, nary mm-hmm. a street on the West side. And we thank you for that. Um, it's just like very nineties, this TV show with like the sheen of 2020. Yeah. And we should say it is created by David E. Kelly, who also, who's done many of Juliet's favorite shows and also, um, big little lies. And there is one scene in the first two episodes where Nicole Kidman is just like staring out at a stormy ocean for an extended (laughs) period of time. And I was like, you guys just used this big little eyes outtake. Like this is just like copy and paste situation. But one of the reasons we want to talk about it, number one, Hugh Grant, just a gift, a real gift, a gift on the show, a gift on uh, the press tour that he's been doing, including on the watch. I am really glad to have him back in my life. And I think he's very funny. It is also interesting to watch him. He is fully embraced uh, playing kind of vile characters late in his life and uh, playing with and sending up the the sweet rom-com persona that he was uh, very much known for for a decade or two. And I'm happy for him and I'm happy for the rest of us. I am am as well. I feel like this is not meant to be mean, but I just feel like all of a sudden he looks really old. I was like, mm-hmm. in, in 4K, Hugh Grant looks old. I'm like, okay, we all age, but it just really got me in touch with the passing of time. That's true. I think he has aged. I think it's also okay because he um, has made a habit of talking about how much he, how he hates how he looks in his press tour. <laughs> There's a really great quote in the Mark Harris piece on the making of the show where Hugh Grant says something to the effect of, I thought this was a show about a family with a dark secret, but then I watched it and it's just about Nicole Kidman being married to a very fat man and they can't even fit me in the widescreen. And that's like, that's like, and he's kind of, you know, everybody has their bits on a press tour. And I think that's been one of his recurring bits. I think it's okay for Hugh Grant to say it. It's so um, weird how he's become a man of bits. Like this was not who he used to be, but he's basically become like, if your grandfather had a podcast, it could be mm-hmm. Hugh Grant. Basically, yes. he's like a man of bits. He's committed really hard to like the kind of like um, sarcastic political guy on Twitter, and it's just like such a. It's just not a Hugh Grant experience I could have predicted twenty five years ago. He has kind of. He has literally become a dad. He has, I <laughs> yeah. believe, five young children. And it's, it's very sweet for him to, he now talks a little bit about being a dad and it is kind of the wry self-deprecating version of it, but, uh, he has definitely turned into dad Hugh Grant. I still think he's incredibly charming. I will say in his defense, I think he is supposed to look old and slightly washed up on the show. If we could go into spoiler mode, you and I have seen five episodes. We are. So if you have not watched the fifth episode, you know, hit skip. But also, th- this is earlier in the show. He's in prison. I don't think he's supposed to look great in prison. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think like the lighting is pretty bad. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But then, but then when he gets out of prison on bail and he's just like in suits again, ridiculous show. But continue. Like, one million. I don't think that that someone suspected of of bludgeoning someone to death would get out on $1 million bail, but I'm it's not two, a lawyer. It's two million. Nor, sorry. Two million, $2 million bail. I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer. So I don't know, or a judge. Do you want to, do you want to talk about kind of the legal like realities of the show? So listen, I've watched, <laughs> I'm watching the show and I'm going to watch the end of it and I'm enjoying it in a way, but I realized this morning now, this is a hate watch for me. And I don't, but I don't do hate watches. Normally, if I don't like something, I'm like, I'm not giving this a second more of my time. And it's not that I don't like this show, but I am frustrated with all of the characters and so many of the choices all of the time, which is perhaps the point of the show, right? Because you want to find out what's happening and it wants you to keep watching and kind of yell at the TV. But listen, Nicole Kidman's character, not hiring a lawyer, is either insane is either number one, like a very obvious tell from the very beginning of the show 
Or number two, so unrealistic that I'm going to be furious forever. Like what? Come on. It has to be Grace. It has to be Nicole Kidman's character. It has to be. Yeah. It has to be Grace. And that's the other thing that's like, it's, it's fun to have a kind of a pretty purely who did it show. I mean, this show is about like who did it. And then Nicole Kidman, like stomping around, as you noted, or Nicole Kidman in various rooms with lots of art and lovely textiles. Let me just go ahead and say that. And it's just a killer dress, no pun intended, that she wore in the first and second episodes. Like the dress she wears, like the big event is so gorgeous. Right. It's like it's like truly like sumptuous fashion. Tremendous coats. Yeah. You know, there's definitely is really nice. Also, by the way, Hugh Grant's coat, wonderful. There's a, there is a certainly an atmosphere to this show, but it's like her looking c- kind of confused and who did it. And so the necessity of the who did it plotline is that they just, they have to offer up a suspect in every episode and then be like, no, psych, it's not that person. So by the fifth episode, you kind of know, okay, well, if they're, if they're saying it's this person, then it's probably not. And by process of elimination, you're right. It has to be grace, which I I would like to credit my husband, Zach from day one. He was like, it's gotta be her because she didn't get a lawyer. And that's true. No woman (laughs) on the Upper East side would agree to even speak to a police officer without a lawyer. It's definitely true. I have to say my favorite character is Lily Rob and she's great. She's not really in my life, but I'm just like, maybe I should become a big time Lily fan. She should, I should just like start committing all my energy to her as a celebrity and an actress. So what's the twist with her? Do you think? Because there's otherwise there's no reason for her to be on the show. Um, maybe she knows who did it or something. I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. Okay. I, I also find, um, the son's like the son character to be like mm-hmm. very confusing as well. Is he supposed to be smart? Is he supposed to be sad? Like, I'm not sure what his emotional register is, but I believe his school is the same as the one they use in Gossip Girl, right? Yeah, the same out. It's certainly the same like courtyard. So I just was really just dist- every time they show him at school, I'm just really distracted by thinking about Blair Waldorf in a headband. So <laughs> I'm just like, whatever. I just go with it. This kind of show, like I objectively like has problems. But I just like don't care. Like, I'm just like, this is fun. So I'm just like, I'm having a good time. I think that's correct. And I was remarking as I sat down last night, like to watch this show that I have a long list of complaints with, including <laughs> let me just let me just get a couple more off my chest. Please let me tell do. you one of the number one things that drives me nutty in all like thriller whodunit crime fiction, okay, which I read a lot of or I read a lot of mysteries anyway. It's when the answer is like, it was a psychopath. Okay. <laughs> that is not narratively satisfying. It doesn't illuminate anything about the situation. It does not illuminate anything about like the condition of being a psychopath. It's, it's, it's a cop out. So if they're doing that in this episode, in this season, I'm going to be really mad. Number two. Also, if it is the kid, like I want my money back. Like I would like the, whatever <laughs> I paid for HBO every month back. That is not satisfying. Okay. I think that it has to be Grace, but I'm just like, what's the deal with her trauma flashbacks? Like what, like, I guess like her committing a crime is supposed to be the trauma. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But, um, I just glad that David E. Kelly is having a resurgence. I just feel like pulp type thriller TV is something we just can't have enough of, especially when there's no expectations of multiple seasons. Like that's usually the downfall of this kind of television. So I just feel like this is like meant, this is David E. Kelly's time to shine seven episodes and out. I do agree with that. And I interrupted myself with my list of like very long complaints. I'm really sorry. I'm heated. I don't know. It's like, what else are we going to do? Okay. We got to have an outlet for all this emotion. But so when I sat down last night to watch this episode, I did have, this is so weird. I was like, oh, this is how most people experience television. It's like, they're sitting down and it's like, no big deal. They're just going to watch an hour and like find out what happens. And then they're going to move on with their lives. It's not going to be some religious experience or something that they have to like do an extended podcast about though. Like here we are doing a podcast. Um, that's good. Everything is copy, but I was just kind of like, Oh, I'm not super invested in this, but I do want to know what happens. And it's, it's enjoyable for the exact amount of time that I'm giving to it. And then I just move on with my life. That feels great. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I, I've like just been really in touch with my love of television lately. It's just a great, a great medium. Um, question for you. Mm -hmm. Does Nicole Kidman go back to making movies ever? It's just like, she seems to have really committed to TV and streaming. Like I know she's in prom, the Ryan Murphy, I believe musical coming on Netflix soon. 
Mm-hmm. And she's currently filming, I think, a movie with Anya Taylor-Joy of Queen's Gambit fame and Peaky yes. Blinders. Um, and then she's got like another TV show, I think, on the way as well. Yes. And it's a the TV show is a Leanne Moriarty ad- adaptation right. who also wrote um, Big Little Lies, the, the novel. So it definitely seems like she had a great time on Big Little Lies, <laughs> which which honestly might have to do something, something to do with the fact that she was a producer on that show. And I, I believe mm. that she is a lot more involved and a lot more control behind the scenes on these these projects. And I think um, like really any actor or any any person who can who reaches that level seems to want to replicate it. I mean, I would, too, you know, love control. Um, so. I, I assume she'll continue to do movies occasionally as it interests her, but also, especially right now, when you kind of look at the movie industry and what is getting made and kind of what the future of the, the next few years is, both like on a COVID and a theater level, it just, I think there's probably more interesting stuff and more opportunity in TV right now. Yeah. I've also just become really into the music of Keith Urban lately. So I've been thinking a lot about this couple (laughs) because Keith Urban has a song with pink. It like drew me in. And now, and I just, I just have gotten really into country music in the last like three months. I always kind of liked it, but now I'm just like super in on country music. And, um, they're just a wild couple. Like, I just feel like there's so much under the surface there that like, Mm -hmm. I don't need to know about and probably shouldn't, but I just feel like they really like make sense together. And I don't know. I'm just like, what, why why are they not recognized as as the most important Australians of all time? Like, I don't get it. Well, I think maybe they are. And perhaps <laughs> that's an American-centric view of celebrity. Uh, you know, we I, we do have some Australian listeners, so they're, they're very kind. They sent us um, updates on what's going on in, in Byron Bay and similar. Um, but maybe they can let us know. But I think that they, as far as Australians go, they're, they're up there. And, and congratulations <laughs> to them. I, they seem very happy. Keith Urban's hair always looks exactly the same. He has like this weird kind of like bangs part on his forehead in the exact same spot all the time. I'm just like, is this man a wax figure? It's crazy. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I I have literally nothing to say to that. I've not spent that much time with Keith Urban, but I'm glad that you're finding new passions in 2020. Um. I was just reading up on Nicole Kidman very, very lightly just because mm-hmm. of watching The Undoing. And like every story about her for the rest of time will have to note that she's also the mother to two two children with Tom Cruise, Connor and Isabella Cruise. Mm-hmm. And it just like is so awkward because, you know, a lot of people know that Nicole Kidman doesn't really have a relationship with them or if she does. It's very fraught and just sort of like it's it's not common for a celebrity i think as famous as nicole kidman to have such um an evenly cleaved life between like the tom cruise era and the not tom cruise era and it's like i forget all the time mm-hmm. and then i like read that one line she's also the mother to connor 28 isabella 26 with ex husband tom cruise and like it's just it's just so weird it's just like she's such a complex celebrity who we've known for so long and here she is just starring in a David E. Kelly six episode show. It's just like a really weird turn. Such a such an interesting winding road with her. Absolutely. And you make a good point, which is that normally we don't really allow those types of reinventions. And yeah, who, like who we are and who allowing is, is, you know, like we don't have to do a celebrity dissertation today. But um, that was the Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman marriage was like a huge celebrity thing in the nineties. And oh then the disintegration of that was like one of the most formative movies of my childhood, you know, and they made a whole movie eyes wide shut about the marriage falling apart. And then whatever Tom Cruise goes through in the two thousands and all the questions, I mean, it's like, it's an extremely rich text. And, and I think it is just because she's kept working and had a lot of interesting projects and has, managed to do what is very rare and especially rare, I think, for a woman in Hollywood and a woman over the age of 30 in Hollywood of making it about her work and her career. And I commend her for that. Seriously. Shout out to her. She she did it. Anyway, watch The Undoing. Hey, watch it or love watch it, whatever you want. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. 
It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's move on. On to the crown. Um, it's been about 10 days. Most people who love the crown, I think are done with the season. Sadly, when mm-hmm. do we get season five? Do you know? Not for two years, I think. Ugh. Yeah, because they, they filmed the two seasons. Um, Together. Together, usually, with the cast, because I think it's easier on production. And then also with the COVID of, of it all, I don't know when they will be able to start production. So that there was a two-year break between seasons two and three. And I think, yeah, there will be a who, similar two-year break. Who will you miss the most? Which actor? Being extremely honest, it's going to be Josh O'Connor for me. Just, <laughs> I really, and what a monster Charles becomes in the second half of season four. And uh, I what an effect Josh O'Connor still has on me. It's really quite something. I I said this to you via text, but the scene, the episode in Australia, when they do the kind of the ballroom dance for the show, which is a real event. I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of side-by-sides of the two. They got the the clothes perfectly matched, but was so charming. I don't understand why all men don't learn how to dance, like (laughs) ballroom dance. Cause it was like 90 seconds and I'm sold completely infatuated. He can do whatever, just absolutely despicable, entitled, selfish things he wants to do for the rest of the season. And I'm like, Oh, but this guy really charming. It's it's pretty sad what happened with him and his family. Don't you think? How'd you feel about the Australia episode? Again, catch Amanda talking about this with Chris Ryan on the watch. Yes. From, I thought it was effective. My, I don't want to say my struggle. Let me just say season four masterpiece. Love this show. Love all four seasons. Great, great television. Will watch again. Can't wait. This is a show about the crown and not a show about princess Diana. And I know that intellectually, but I had obviously been waiting for the Diana season my whole life that sometimes I wanted a little bit more Diana or I'm just like, there is a lot more to be told obviously it would be told from her perspective and it would just be a different show. So I'm, I I hate criticism when they're like, I wish the show were another show, but the Australia episode was, I thought a, um, like a very well done, like condensation of the entire Diana phenomenon into uh-huh. one episode. And in reality that like happened over a span of years and like the upstage effect and everything that they kind of, that they illustrate was, was very real, but develops over time. And that's like, the media plays more of a role. And I think there is like a lot more stuff between Charles and Diana and like, you know, there's all this stuff with, um, what's going on with Diana and, um, her bulimia and her family is shown and I think handled pretty sensitively, but like not always developed from her side, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think if you also, you read about her, her mental health struggles were like very, um, extensive. And mm-hmm. I think it was went beyond bulimia. And I, I thought that like it was handled well, but it also like I think it's just like worth noting that there was also many other episodes um, 
throughout her life or at least her adult life. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I understand why, because they are, as Philip says in the, the very last scene of the season, this is a show about one woman and it's not Diana. It's, it's about Elizabeth and it's about that institution. So, and you know, you could do a hundred episodes of the eighties in the UK. Like there's so much going on. So, so I understand the choices that they had to make narratively in order to fit it all in. And I thought it did paint a, like a pretty thorough picture. Um, but I'm always going to want more. I just really didn't care for her monologue on the plane about the baby. I just, oh like, yeah. Not that I thought it was like, I'm not like she's wrong, but I just mm-hmm. thought that was like Emma Corrin's worst scene. I was just like, this isn't working for me, but I thought that the stuff with Charles was, was pretty good. Yeah. I think I continue to think Emma Corrin is like astonishing. And I've been thinking a lot about what you said about how you're not a the huge, not that you aren't a fan, but that the performance kind of stuck out to you. Yeah. Um, and That's I think that, it. and I think that that is really perceptive. And for me, kind of part of what makes it work, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say it's like intentional necessarily, but Diana did not fit into this family. It was like a different energy, a different vibe. And there's a great line in the queen, which is the Peter Morgan movie about uh, princess princess diana's death and the week after it which i recommend starring helen mirren great stuff uh, sort of like great crown prerequisite or if you, also available on netflix right now just fyi um but the charles character in the queen says you have to remember that their diana and our diana are two completely different people and I, like i think the performance captures a lot of that and like the scene when diana is trying to hug the queen and mm, they're just that. like they're talking at each other. And it's not just that they have like philosophical, emotional differences, um, but they just come from different worlds. They have different emotions, different energies. It's like total, total mismatch. And that's definitely part of the problem. So when she is, you know, making her stands or expressing her Diana-ness, sometimes it's really heartbreaking. And sometimes you're like, what are you doing? This is completely yeah. <laughs> wrong as, as encapsulated <laughs> in a scene that Juliet did not warn me about, which I appreciate from a spoiler episode uh, perspective, but from a personal perspective, um, the Phantom of the Opera video cassette was hilarious <laughs> and excruciating. And I do think the first time I like fully pulled the blanket up over my head when watching it, like I didn't actually watch it the first time I had to just kind of sit like that and know that it would end soon. And then I rewound to watch the facial expressions. That is vicious. Yeah. Um, And I, you know, I don't, I don't think that that happened in real life though. Maybe it did. I've never read it and I think I would remember it, but absolutely. the Billy Joel performance, uh, that's the real girl is real. Yeah. And it encapsulates, you know, maybe it, I think that like poor Diana, like who had a lot going on and, 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 you know, as you said, like a lot of mental health issues and her bulimia and didn't have any support. And like her family was not very helpful or totally absent in the case of the crown. But there, there were also some things that just really ideologies didn't align. How about that? And, and that scene shows you why it really is just like so much. I can't believe we're only going to get one season of Emma Corrin. I feel like I, I, um, you know, I'm not like her biggest fan, but also feel like switching the Diana character after one season. I don't, I'm not really in favor of, but, um, must be a fairly significant time jump. Uh, I'm curious to see how season five goes. It's so unfair to Diana that Dominic West is playing Prince Charles in season five because while I don't think he seems like the most upstanding person, he has an undeniable handsome swagger that I think contributes to his persona in the press, particularly right now with this Lily James situation, but also just like for many years. Um, And I just feel like to the legacy of Diana, it's unfair to cast someone so insanely handsome, like just objectively handsome, symmetric face, as Prince Charles. Not fair. Just not fair. <laughs> well, I, I think it's sort of true, except he's a real, he has, I'm going to catch myself here. He, Dominic West has played a lot of slime balls very effectively. 
And I am am at this point just always kind of like raising my eyebrows at him while also being very charmed. He is handsome, but it's just also kind of like you're you're full of it. And that's an energy that he can bring. And I think that's pretty (laughs) essential to Charles. I also want to say they've classed Elizabeth Debicki as Princess Diana. That's not messing around. That is like a extremely high caliber and like sophisticated, like grown up actress. So I think who can probably like stand her own against Dominic West. You're right. Time jump. I time jump. I, they honestly, I I think it's, there's none at all because this ends in 1990. Yeah. And there is so much they have to do the Andrew Morton book that you, um, that, that Diana participates in and that you saw a musical based on is 1992, I believe. And I think that they've got to show that. And because that was so seismic also in terms of the royal family's relationship to the media, which is clearly a recurring interest of Peter Morgan's because, you know, it's about like ideology and and celebrity and how we understand these people. I watched half of the doc on Netflix that the Peter Morgan or the Andrew Morton book is based on. Right. And um, it's a great companion to watching The Crown. I it mean, really like, is. I really you know, I recommend watching it after watching the show to then, I think it, I think it's also like really impactful to hear Diana speaking and talking about this stuff when so infrequently, um, do you hear that? I I also would like quasi recommend just listening to it, not watching it because it's just mostly archival. Mm -hmm. And I think like just hearing her voice, it's it's like I'm recommending a podcast, hearing her voice without being subjected to the editorial choices of what B-roll to show, Mm -hmm. um, I think is a pretty cool experience actually. And so, you know, there's obviously still like editing and, and subjective decisions made about like how to put this together, but it's pretty cool. And I recommend it. I mean, it wasn't like brand new, but I think as like kind of a, a um, companion to this narrative that Peter Morgan has stitched together, it's really worthwhile. Right. And, and the reason it's not brand new is because the Diana became like a major author in her own narrative. And a mm-hmm. lot of what we know is because of what she told Andrew Morton and told her friends and, and, and participated in, um, and her decision to do that really does change everyone's understandings of not just Diana, but the whole Royal family. So I think that'll have to be in the show, but that's 92. And then, uh, you know, Diana died in 1997. So I think, and this is so interesting because normally the show does it by prime ministers and Diana's death, um, as we learn in the queen and also, you know, from history is right after Tony Blair is elected. So I suppose maybe the, probably the last episode of season five will be Tony Blair being elected yeah. And, yeah. and, um, her death, but, but, you know, seven years in a season is what they do. Yeah. It's so funny to organize a show about monarchy by prime ministers that are elected. Uh, it's a real comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a few more questions for you about the crown. The next one is what was your reaction to seeing Claire Foy? I'm thrilled. I'm, I love I her. Love that. I, miss I love her. that episode. Love, love, love. It's great. She's wonderful. I hope she's well. I would love to see her in other things. Um, I Claire, just, Claire Foy, let's get you a job. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it was exciting because I had finally, really acclimated. I think it took me 15 episodes to acclimate to Olivia Coleman's version of the queen, not acclimate, but to have that be like the dominant queen in my head. Uh, and I think also a little bit is because the queen becomes a little, little more Olivia Coleman ish as yeah. the seasons go on. Like they're yeah. really writing to her jokes. It's so great when Olivia Coleman as the queen does Margaret Thatcher uh, just a plus stuff, but they would only do that with someone with her comedic skills, even though uh, rumor has it that is the the queen herself is quite funny. Apparently that she does have like a dry sense of humor. Um, next question, final question Mm -hmm. fitting for the finale. What Mm -hmm. was your favorite monologue in the finale between the queen yelling at Charles, um, Camilla explaining why she will always be a mistress. Um, and Philip explaining what the queen means to Diana. Wow, you skipped right past. I hug who I want. Oh. <laughs> I hug who I love. Like, <laughs> I mean, instant meme. And I always, I have a real soft spot for the, me- the, the memes. Um, oh, gosh, 
it's either between the, I think the Camilla monologue is great. And I think Emerald Fennell has been really excellent as Camilla, but I'm yeah, striking I'll that miss off her. The, great yeah, casting. I'm, great, great casting. Yes. But that's not my favorite. I'm striking that off the list. The, the queen monologue is our last really taste of Olivia Coleman and the queen. And it is so satisfying to have her like fully unleash. It's what you're waiting for with this character in every situation throughout every episode and through 40 episodes now. And for her to just really, really lay into him and say what she thinks, which she never does is so satisfying. Um, I think the Philip monologue also loved Tobias Menzies and the, the craft of that monologue is so extraordinary. He is quoting the monologue or not the monologue, but kind of the, the, this the climactic scene between Philip and Elizabeth in the last episode of season two. So in the last Claire Foy, Matt Smith episode and which just, also is kind of um, in the show, at least is positioned as a response to Matt's or to Philip's cheating, which yes. um, is really obviously important symmetry with everything going on between Diana and Charles. And I didn't go back and check this, but I do think that that speech, like she is the essence of your duty also echoes the very first episode of the crown and what uh, Elizabeth's father says to Matt Smith and it, which is his way of saying, essentially I'm going to die. So I just, the, that's really nerdy, but the way that not the nerdy about love and Tobias Menzies. Sure. But also just that this, the way the show, you know, carries these things on over time. And I mean, it's Shakespearean in a way that these like generational family sagas and these people who can't escape the, the expectations, but also, you know, their personal feelings and failures is uh, like pretty powerful. And I think like what makes the show exceptional. So maybe I'll go with the last one. I agree because I'm obsessed with Tobias Menzies, but moreover, I just love that this show ends every season with like basically a statement of purpose, like mm-hmm. both for the characters and for the show itself. It's such a wonderful send off and such a wonderful bow on top of 10 episodes that like that is both like a cliffhanger and also a tidy ending in such, as you said, like a Shakespearean way. It's awesome. And I just like, you know, the big three, Tobias, Olivia and Josh, just like mm-hmm. what an incredible trio of actors. How do we get so lucky? I will miss them so goddamn much. And, you know, every season of The Crown is great, so I'm sure it'll continue to be a wonderful show going forward. But um, I just feel like all three... I mean, obviously, I think Olivia Coleman, Oscar winner, already extremely storied. I mean, she's part of, like, so many beloved things between the trio of Broadchurch, Fleabag, and The Crown. It's, like, mm-hmm. those are, like, the three most, like, popular indie shows, also all British, of, like... Not indie, but, like, sort of, like internet-y shows of like the last like seven years among them so like that's awesome and Menzies is basically like in everything I care about he's Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Josh O'Connor is going to be an absolute star I mean this is like the Josh O'Connor Paul Meskel coming out year and like we're all all eyes across the Atlantic and like it's it's just like so incredible to to have this source text of like these three acting together and I'll always I'll always cherish these performances from this trio together and separately thank you so much to them they're great. Great show. I really look forward to it. What spinoff would you most want to watch? Margaret, Anne, Andrew, Randy, Andy? Just kidding. No, not at all, though. God, that episode, just with the four of them, just favorites, being yeah, absolutely one. monsters. It's, God, they're all despicable. Except for Anne. I think Anne gets a little bit of a tough edit in that episode, personally. I don't really think she cared about Diana that much, but that's just me. If we're doing spinoffs, I mean, I want a Diana spinoff. I don't, oh, right. There's, sure. there's never been like the, the Diana movies or Diana shows with all respect to Naomi Watts are not what they should be. <laughs> so I I would want that. But of kind of the the minor characters, as Charles so rudely says to his three siblings. Incredible. I think, well, the Anne one would be boring, though she has her own interests. I mean, she has an affair. She gets divorced. She gets remarried. Olympian. She's an Olympian. She doesn't really like put up with nonsense, with which I appreciate. Can we just talk, talk about Charles R- IRL for one second? You just made me think of this. Can you mm-hmm. imagine living your whole life like waiting for one thing and like being 72 and it still just hasn't happened? And it's like if your mom wanted this thing to happen for you, she could have effectuated it already. No, 
all of the monarchy is just a a mind fuck, quite frankly. Everyone's so Excuse cruel my language. to each other. <laughs> but but that one in particular, I mean, I think by the end of season four, he is just a, a pretty unredeemable person. Yeah. And not even because of the Camilla of it all, though, you know, I think better decisions could have been made, more respectful decisions could have been made. But as the queen says, just the entitlement and the self-involvement and the cruelty And obviously he has parents who were not ideal parents. And obviously he's put in a uniquely weird and high pressure situation. And then just to be waiting for it your whole life. It's, it seems unnatural. It is unnatural. I can't imagine. It's just horrible. I'm not trying to express sympathy for him really, but, uh, anyway, the crown great show. Check mm-hmm. out the Diana documentary. If you watch the crown, it's definitely being served to you. It's one of the things to watch on Netflix. Yes, so it is. Check it out. <laughs> um, I want to do a quick check in on Taylor Swift, who this evening is dropping a quote unquote, like concert documentary. I don't know. Some sort of long form filmed, um, something. I don't even know what to call it on Disney plus. And she went to Long Pond Studios, which no one knows what that is, but she's like, we went to Long Pond Studios. It's a recording studio in the Hudson Valley, New York. She went with her collaborators from Folklore, Jack Antonoff, Aaron Desner of the National, Justin Vernon of Boney Bear. And I guess like just like talks about and we'll be playing all of the songs in this fall season. I've been listening to Folklore a lot more in the car. So it's a it's a good fall album. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch this. Looking forward to it. But like, I've got some notes and I just like mm-hmm. would like to talk about the current moment we're in Taylor Swift. Well, one of the things you shared was that you have a comment on the Hudson Valley. And so I would like you to go ahead and share that comment. I feel that Taylor Swift has now done to the Hudson Valley, which she did to the city of New York. However, the Hudson Valley is way less um, resilient. And I feel she's ended it by like starting this trailer with like Long Pond Studios, Hudson Valley, New York. Just feel like now it's a joke. And I feel sorry for all the people who recently moved there. It's also just like Taylor Swift, of course, would try to like requisition the area that has been like the subject of many real estate articles of like, Oh, these people from New York moving to Hudson Valley, which was like bubbling up over the last few years anyway. And like they're building a so house there. It's become like kind of like the weird, like, like Oxford is to London. So Hudson Valley is to New York city. And, um, I find it quite annoying. Hudson Valley is fine. I think there's nothing to do there, but that's just me. And I just feel like Taylor (laughs) Swift has finally has just like ended this and made it profoundly uncool. It is the final step of gentrification of an area, (laughs) like a a formal industrial, former industrial area um, that had been gentrified for like a a very, was gentrifying for a very long time. Yeah. Um, But I I think probably like several. Um, Yeah, you're right. And now it's It's Taylor Swift being like long pond Hudson Valley, like also just Hudson Valley as if it's, it's, that's a natural place place instead of, you know, an entire region. I I still think it's a very beautiful place. And I wish everyone who has lived there or, and is living there in the future, you know, I send you my best. (laughs) Um, I had some really lovely weekends upstate in the Hudson Valley and I I went to a nice wedding there. It's fine. But it's just like Taylor Swift is trying to like, make it like by trying to be a part of the thing, she sort of like rendered the thing very uncool. It's it's the most Taylor Swift move in the book. Do you remember a few, maybe this was a year ago. I don't know. I've lost all sense of time, but we had a conversation about um, the term influencers and this piece that um, Marissa Meltzer, a friend of mine wrote, but terming that phenomenon where you see something on the internet so much that you no longer want to be a part of it because you're just like, oh, this has become too popular or this person who I am not a huge fan of is like also adopting this or just this is kind of overexposed or um, and and in some ways it's just reminding you that your own tastes and interests are not unique, that we all are, you know, being marketed to and like, <laughs> like the same things. Um, you, you've never had an original idea in your life. It has been sold to you by someone in an advertising room like four years ago. But uh, I, I do think that Taylor Swift has a particular influencer uh, magic wand. I think it's because she's so earnest, but also so corporate. It's just sort of like, that's the thing is like, she's like taken her album from isolation that like in a very cool way, she just dropped. And now it's like a Disney plus content, which like I'm here for, I'm going to watch it, but she's just, just like, so 
unique. She's just completely singular in her way to like for like me to both be <laughs> extremely admiring and like, wow, she's figured it out. And also just like, God, you make me cringe. It's just a really weird combo. Well, yeah, I was going to say the thing is, is that she I think she really is singularly talented and she is unique in the sense that she's one of the only kind of mainstream things left. Uh, she we, we should note also that she was nominated for a bunch of Grammys this morning, but not as many as Beyonce, who is the number one mainstream thing left. But um, and I feel great about that, by the way. But it, the Taylor Swift thing is that she's just so popular where if she's suddenly like, you know, I really like Diet Coke or whatever. <laughs> I mean, number one, that's not an original idea, but she, never forget she was endorsed by she was endorsing Diet Coke for a while. Right. I believe she couldn't do the Super Bowl halftime show because right. it was sponsored by Pepsi. And, and just there's just some kind of in a time where we are all just trying to be our own flowers and our own brands, you know, and have something that isn't uh, like everybody else. We're all trying to be special snowflakes. She's a reminder that we're all just like pretty boring people. So it's true. That's true. I, and and that, maybe that's OK. Maybe that's OK. She's been dropping a lot of cryptic hints about re-recording her music. And then she confirmed at the AMAs that she is re-recording her old albums um, as part of her ongoing work to reclaim her masters or mm-hmm. basically like be the one profiting from her, the music that she wrote. And it's interesting. I, I read an article in Bloomberg that was like, this is the end of the Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun feud because she's re-recording her masters, which like doesn't make sense to me because I'm sure there's like, there will still be revenue from the original recordings as well. I don't think it's mm-hmm. the end of end of the feud, but uh, you know, she just is like really on a, on a crusade, which I feel like sounds pejorative. I don't mean it to be. So I, I actually like really admire a lot of the steadfast focus that she has. I mean, obviously she's an incredibly focused person, um, but she just is sort of really repositioned herself, like being vocally political lending one of her songs, I think to a political ad in the election cycle. Um, I think she did that. Yeah, like it's like somewhere in my mind that that happened. And also, you know, just being really forthright about pursuing these masters and not wanting Scooter Braun to make money in any way at all. And so I, I just find it like really fascinating that she is um, like at this, like, she's like very much pursuing vengeance while also like charting an important path for the music industry. And it's pretty interesting to watch. I don't know. She just is, she is the celebrity among the celebrities for me who challenge like my kid, my ideas the most about like, about like who celebrities are and like what they can do and and whatnot. And like, that sounds like really cheesy, but she's never been just one thing. And I think that is very, and it continues to be, to be the case. I just find watching her career unfold fascinating. She's always been tremendously engaged in her own narrative. And I think sometimes that narrative and that engagement has gotten away from her. Uh, See reputation. See, you know, there was like a three-year cycle, but I think even at a very young age, and, you know, it's interesting, you said that she is, vengeance has always been her thing and it used to be about uh, people that she dated and now it's about political and financial realities, which I is growing up in a lot of ways. Um, and it's, but I, but I, I find easier or like more engaging, uh, even though I had a great time with all of the, the vengeance of the boyfriends, but even when she was doing those liner notes and, and kind of playing into the idea of this song is about so-and-so and and this song is about so-and-so that it was, it was knowing, I think that she has always had an idea about her, the marketing of herself and her music and, and, and how this works. And I think most successful artists really do, but you never really get to see the machinery in the way that you do with her. That's a good point. And I like, I continue to think it's fascinating. Yeah. It's just, it really is. So we'll continue. Probably be some more ringer dish Taylor Swift coverage Mm -hmm. coming soon. So keep checking your feed for that. Um, finally, I'm just curious where you are, Amanda, with uh, when you see a celebrity ignoring your what you have to be deemed to be your own COVID safety protocols. How you feel? So, can I ask what you mean by this? Is sure. Like, there's a lot of bachelor people having meals inside, not okay. allowed. I would think discouraged, and many looked down upon, but certainly allowed. 
Um, there's also like a lot of, I think, celebrities traveling and Dr. Fauci recommended against traveling. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there's a lot of like celebrities are going out to meals and and things like that. And I feel like there's on the one hand, like a lot of people who are just like so angry, like on social media or elsewhere. And by people, I mean, just sort of like regular people like you and I. And then and then, you know, there's sort of like just the the tabloids that just continue to like show this off, whether like implicitly or explicitly. Right. Uh, One way or the other, endorsing it or condoning it or whatever. I don't know. And I'm just sort of curious, like what you think. I will just say I personally asked this because I I am like sick of celebrity shaming over COVID stuff. I don't Mm -hmm. support it, but I'm also just like, there's such confusion over like what you should and should not do. And every city, let alone state has like different rules that it's like very hard for me to keep track of like what is and is not right other than just like stay home. But that might not be the case. And I'm just curious where you were at with it. Well, my really frank answer is that I'm really tired of the emphasis and shaming of uh, personal responsibility instead of uh, governments and people in positions of power actually uh, supporting our citizens and helping us. I know. Like, that's part <laughs> of it. I'm just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. It's so confusing. So, so I haven't really been consuming it is is the short answer. It's very, it's very and, big in Bachelor Nation. So I feel right. I feel a real burden to have a, a and, thought on this. And, and I think everyone... And everything I just said about like the, my, my political response, I also do want people to be personally responsible, um, be kind to one another, be respectful of other people's health and safety and, and be respectful to yourself. Uh, so it's not that it's not that I don't think people should be taking COVID seriously. I, I personally think they should be taking it extremely seriously, but I just like, I don't know. What are you doing with this energy of just shaming someone? I mean, I know we're all bored. It's just bizarre. I know it's just such a weird time. I was thinking about it. It's just been such a freaking weird eight to nine months of celebrities. There's been so many different like phases of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, probably we should just be focusing on Brad Pitt and this, in this moment who wears a mask and hands out meals. And that's the, that's the most we can ask for our celebrities. Right. Right. (laughs) And I, and I think the other thing, once again, is, you know, celebrities are not the people, they're not politicians and they're not people who you should live your life by. They can be a source of entertainment or inspiration to you. They can be a source of interest. They certainly are to me. I think they're sociologically fascinating. I think they reveal a lot about our society and our values. And so maybe there is something in terms of the the COVID of it all that can be revealed in time, but like, don't take your cues from celebrities. Okay. Just like, listen to your, like, listen to scientists and doctors and, yeah. and be safe. And Send your send your love to people who need it right now because we all do. That's a great final note. Have a great Thanksgiving, a safe one and a respectful one. And we'll be back next week with our jam session gift guide. Can't wait. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.